Hear now this reading from the Gospel of John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks Thanks be to God. I imagine that the streets of Jerusalem were rank with the odor of the sheep the Jewish pilgrims had brought with them on their journeys into the city for Passover. There was a hum of excitement in the air as cousins who had not seen one another since the last Passover made their way into the holy city to gather with family for the service of remembrance. Even though the content of the Passover story they would tell was dark, it culminated in liberation and new life. It was a story that made it worth the journey just to hear it again year after year. They traveled into the city with their lambs in tow, or purchased them once they arrive, and in the denser parts of the city, you might find four or five, even six lambs tethered outside together, outside one dwelling, with all the incumbent sounds and smells you might imagine. Well, Mary and Martha had been looking forward to this pre-Passover visit, scrubbing the house down in preparation for the arrival of Jesus and his disciples, trying to mask the scent of the lambs outside with the smell of clean surfaces and good food. As usual, Martha may have been scrubbing a little harder than her sister. In fact, at one point not long before the intended arrival, when Martha looked up from her work, Mary was nowhere to be seen. It was not all that long ago this kind of behavior would have sent Martha over the edge. She would have chalked it up to the flightiness of her inconsiderate sister. But not this day. The Gospel of John hasn't told us the story of Jesus' earlier visit to their home, of Martha's frustration and Mary's devotion, of Jesus' gentle rebuke of Martha and her tendency to get overworked and miss the forest for the trees. That story is in the Gospel of Luke. But we can allow ourselves to imagine that some growth has taken place, some reconciliation, that these sisters have learned better how to live in harmony together. At least it seems that way, since John describes them in this story, each living into their own giftings, with no mention of any bitterness or resentment of one toward the other. In fact, as Martha was cooking and cleaning, Mary had disappeared altogether into the bedroom, 
with an important task of preparation of a different kind weighing on her heart. She closed the door behind her, went to the trunk where she kept her most valuable possessions, and carefully unwrapped the small jar. Cradling it in one hand, she removed the lid, and as the first hint of the fragrance reached her nose, she was immediately transported to all the momentous occasions it had marked, the festivals, the weddings, the funerals. Eventually, she had put it away, storing it safely until an occasion that could justify pulling it out again. After all, she had spent an embarrassing amount of money on this perfume. Now, the time had come. She was as devoted a follower as any who walked with Jesus, and unlike most of the twelve, she was not blinded by optimism. She was painfully aware that Jesus' time was running short. With deliberate steps, she carried the jar into the dining room and tucked it away where it would be safe until the moment was right. Mary jumped back into the necessary housework, but now with a more thoughtful demeanor. No chatting with Martha as she set the table. Quietly, she contemplated what she knew of Jesus' intentions for the week and what she knew of those who wanted him gone. The whispers in Jerusalem were growing, and Jesus would not quit causing a stir everywhere he went. And while she feared for him because of it, even greater than her fear was her love. As she mulled over the events of the past few weeks, she wove in and out of disbelief. Was it really just a few weeks ago that Jesus had come to them in mourning clothes? grieving the death of her brother Lazarus so deeply that he would overturn his death altogether. And now, it seemed, the whisperers had turned against her brother, too. For what greater threat could there be to organized religion than a walking miracle with a story to tell? Perhaps it was because the sting and the stench of her dead brother's body were still so fresh on her mind that she had felt the compulsion to pull out the perfume. She had been unprepared when Lazarus had left them. She learned her lesson. With Jesus, she wanted it to be different. As if on cue, she heard Lazarus laughing outside the door as he opened it, ushering in the guests. No more time for contemplation. The party had begun. It was a group of friends who had traveled together for years. There was joking, there was false bravado and clapping of shoulders. There was gracious thanking of their hosts for welcoming such a rowdy crew into their home during this holiday season. Mary kept her eyes on Jesus. She didn't quite know what to make of his expressions. Was there somehow more love in his eyes on this night than on other nights? as he gazed intently back into the eyes of each one gathered. What did he know? As the night wore on, the room eventually grew quieter, as the conversation turned to the more somber questions of where they were headed tomorrow, and what opposition they anticipated they would face, and what exactly Jesus was hoping would be the outcome of this journey into Jerusalem. More converts to the cause? 
more support from the religious establishment, or something else entirely. He did not seem eager to answer their questions head on. It was somewhere in the midst of a back and forth between James and John about which of them could take a Roman guard if push came to shove, that Mary felt the wind knocked out of her. Perhaps it was the discussion of physical violence. Perhaps it was the reminder that Rome still held the reins and the weight of oppression that realization brought with it. Perhaps it was just something about Jesus' face. But she knew it was time. Without a sound, she left her seat, retrieved the jar, and knelt at Jesus' feet. Silently, she began to pour the precious perfume over his dirty, road-worn feet so slowly, with so much care. She wiped them clean, not with a towel, but with her hair, with her very being. She had acted so quietly, it had largely gone unnoticed, the conversation around the table continuing until it slowly tapered off as one by one they took notice of this woman who seemed somehow the most in tune with Jesus on this night. James and John finally hushed when the fragrance filled the room, drawing their focus toward the gift of grace being poured out lavishly before them. It meant something different to each of them. To some, it was nothing more than another puzzling act by Mary the mystic. To the more theologically attuned, it carried the weight of kingly anointing, the symbolism of the lineage of David they so often heard the masses attributing to Jesus. To Lazarus, it carried the all-too-familiar scent of the burial spices in the tomb. I imagine that to each of these, Mary might have said, yes. To one among them, though, it was less an aroma than an odor. Judas found the whole thing so distasteful. The scent itself, the whole display, it was too much. And before anyone had even had time to gather their thoughts, he was muttering under his breath. What was that, Judas? One of them asked. I said, maybe if we wanted to actually practice what we preach, the money she spent on the stench in that god-awful jar might have been better spent caring for the poor. It was aggressive. It was not well received. None of them knew exactly what they had just witnessed, but they knew this was not the response it deserved, not the response it required. Judas seemed to be reaching for some low-hanging fruit, looking for any way out of the awkwardness he felt in the silence, in the offensive sacredness of this uncomfortable space. They were shocked at his words, but none of them were too surprised. Judas didn't become the bad guy overnight. None of them even thought of him as a bad guy, so much, not yet anyway. They simply didn't know what to do with him. He was like the mercenary of the group, always adjusting his own opinions to try to make nice with whoever seemed to be in charge. Sure, at some point he had been compelled by Jesus' teachings, compelled enough to leave his home and family behind. 
It was no small commitment they had made. But among the disciples, it was as if he had a sixth sense for sniffing out when the winds of power were about to shift. He never wanted the spotlight for himself, but he was always ready to make himself useful to whoever ended up out front. At the core of his motivations was fear. Fear of being left behind. Fear of being left out. Fear of being hung out to dry. And there was plenty to be afraid of when it came to following Jesus these days. Judas was anything but ignorant. He had kept his ear to the ground, and where Mary heard whispers around the city, what Judas heard was more akin to a drumbeat, hastening toward a terrifying crescendo, carrying him right along with it into a frenzy of fear. Fear that enveloped him and caused him to lash out at Mary's offering. Fear that would lead him to betray the one he loved. John wants us to read Judas's rebuke as deceitful. He casts Judas as a liar and a thief who only made the complaint he did because it meant less money in the coffers for him to steal. Maybe so. Then again, it isn't hard to imagine how the stories of Judas's odd behaviors and insecurities might have morphed over the years in the disciples' retellings into traits of a more sinister nature. But as much as I can understand the villainizing of Judas, this story says more to me if Judas was just a regular guy with regular fears. Because his fear is what Jesus chooses to address. Rather than answering the question Judas asked, a question which on the surface many of us might find ourselves signing on to, why wasn't this money used in the service of the poor? Instead of answering the question, Jesus answered the fear. He called Judas lovingly back to the heart of what they had been doing together all this time in the first place, which was pursuing the way of love that would inevitably lead to his death. I wonder if, when he said it, Something shifted in the room. The poor you will always have. You will not always have me with you. Surely Mary and Judas weren't the only ones who had sensed what was coming. Or was this really the first time some of them realized Jesus hadn't spoken in hyperbole or metaphor when he had told them over and over that he would be killed. Even as it felt like all the air went out of the room, still, the fragrance of Mary's love lingered. Would it linger all the way to the cross? Had it worked its way into his skin? Would Judas catch a whiff as his lips brushed Jesus' cheek? Would it permeate the air along with the tension in Pilate's court? Did it give the soldiers pause 
as they lifted him down off the cross. And when the night came on and the sad, dark hours grew long, was there enough of it left in Mary's hair to carry her through her fear and into the hope of something greater? They say that our sense of smell is one of the greatest aids we have in retrieving distant memories. It can be difficult to remember what we know to be most deeply true when fear steps in and takes over. But if this is the story we find ourselves in, this story of the one who walked the way of love all the way to a cross on a hill, then we must anoint ourselves, anoint our feet, our faces, our hands, because we know this road is not an easy one. May the story of love so permeate our beings that with every breath we take, we are breathing in the fragrance of the perfect love that casts out all our fears.